Welcome to your go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you gotta do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Wait For It Podcast. I am your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And thank you so much for joining me for a brand new episode of my ongoing series, Filuminati. For those of you that are brand new to the podcast, Filuminati is an episode in which I find various fan theories from all over the internet and bring them to you. In the past, I've covered Disney Pixar theories. I've done The Office and Parks and Recreation. I, of course, had to cover MCU theories in the past as well. So if you enjoy this episode and you want to hear more, make sure to check out our library. You can find all the rest of the episodes of Filuminati. I will say at one point, Filuminati was about conspiracy theories, and I decided to change it up to make it a little bit more lighthearted. Not that any of the conspiracy theories that I talked about were really like harmful or anything. I just felt like there were too many detrimental conspiracy theories, and I didn't want to get caught up in all that mess, you know? So instead, we talk about some of the shows, video games, and movies that we love, and some of the crazy theories that people have come up with all on their own. Once again, if you're brand new to the show, welcome, and thank you guys so much for joining us. And make sure you stick around to the very end of the show, and I'll let you know where you can find all the rest of our content. And for all of our returning listeners, welcome back. As always, we could not do this without you guys, and uh, thank you so much for the ongoing support. But let's go ahead and jump right into it. I have five theories that I came across today that are very, very interesting Three of them are from movies, and then two of them are from TV shows. So let's go ahead and start with this first one, and it's from The Lion King. So we're going back to the Disney well, and this theory says that Simba caused the drought. Posted by Reddit user SPIXDON, this is probably something that is super obvious to everyone, but it was a revelation to me today when I watched The Lion King with my son. Simba caused the drought in Pride Rock. The past kings, like Mufasa, are in the sky, specifically the clouds as shown by Mufasa talking to Simba when he is with Timon and Pumbaa. The clouds, which carry the rain, left to follow the rightful king when he left Pride Rock. Simba spends years with Timon and Pumbaa in an apparent tropical jungle that obviously gets plenty of rainfall. When he is shown going back towards Pride Rock, the clouds roll in behind him. They seemingly follow the rightful king back to the Pride Lands and it begins raining shortly after. For years, it bugged me how Scar taking power somehow caused a drought, it really wasn't Scar seizing control or the hyena population explosion that caused a weather issue, but the rightful leader abandoning his people and taking the wisdom of the elders with him. What a dick, right? <laughs> Simba's already pretty selfish, and this one kind of paints him in even worse light, in my opinion. Uh, but I really, really like this one and uh, makes a lot of sense. I think this one is totally valid. Let's get into the next one here, which was posted by a Burn Notice Lover about the Hunger Games. And can we just talk about how if there's any series that I believe needs a reboot or a redo, I think it started off relatively well, and then it just kind of lost its way as more movies came out. I've read all the books, and then they're phenomenal. And I think you could redo this with someone other than Jennifer Lawrence. It's crazy. Like Jennifer Lawrence was like this media darling for a couple of years. And I think we just realized like, oh, everybody acts like this. It's not really that big of a deal. And, you know, obviously Jennifer Lawrence is kind of not necessarily problematic, but she's kind of, you know, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way since then. So I am here for a Hunger Games reboot. I say this should start over. 
But let's move into this theory here. The Hunger Games aren't just a propaganda tool. They're a way to assess each district's insurgency capabilities and test countermeasures. President Snow isn't an idiot. He knows that his method of ruling is bound to cause rebellion eventually, especially with District 13 lying in wait. Now, as any dictator can tell you, the only people you need to keep happy are the ones you're afraid of. But how does Snow decide what to fear? Easy. Every year, he rounds up a smattering of kids from each district and drops them into a controlled environment so that the Capitol military can see exactly which districts are a threat. Who is giving their children combat training, survival training? How would the average members of each district population fare in battle? It would be incredibly easy to get this vital information just by watching the games. District 1 and 2 don't dominate the games because they're treated well. They're treated well because they dominate the games. Snow realizes he needs to keep them happy because he constantly watches their fighters kick everyone's ass. They use the reaping to gather a mostly random sampling. Giving extra food for entering your name multiple times ensures that they can see the skills of the truly desperate, those most likely to join a rebel militia, and allowing volunteers lets them see how the glory hounds and tough guys fare, those most likely to lead a rebel militia. From there, they offer training to see how quickly the average fighters from each district would adapt to combat training. How educated are they? How fast do they learn? Are weapons new to them or do they have experience? They even test media savvy and the ability to rally capital citizens to their cause with Caesar Flickerman's show. When they're actually in the arena, not only is the capital assessing the fighters' performance in different environments, why do you think they keep changing the map, but they're also testing counterinsurgency weapons. That's why there's always new environmental hazards each year. They're seeing how effective they are against armed, twitchy revolutionaries. Fireballs? 86 of them. They didn't hurt anybody. Mutant animals that remind the fighters of fallen allies? Keep those. Those were good. That's why we see all those traps in the capital. They were the ones most effective against the tributes, so they were recycled into city defense systems. This theory is brilliant, and another reason why I think The Hunger Games deserves a better adaptation. And I know the story of The Hunger Games isn't necessarily the most original. Of course, everybody refers to the Battle Royale Japanese film. And I'm a little interested to see what the TV show is going to be like. But again, I feel like they should just reboot this thing and start over, put a new face to the movies, get the right director and crew in there and, you know, do this thing right. Let's move into the next one here, which is probably the darkest one on this list. And it's about the Grinch. And it was posted by Reddit user Equivalent Inflation. And this theory states that the Grinch is the sole survival of a brutal genocide committed by the Who's. Now, this user states that this is based on the original book and the animated movie, nothing else within the Seussverse. First off, there is his appearance. He's clearly physically different from every other Who. Taller, green fur, yellow eyes, etc. He's a member of a completely different race than the Who's, but there's no other member of that race in sight. We also know that he's not just some genetic aberration. The cartoon version mentions he gains the strength of 10 Grinches plus 2. Not 10 times his own strength, but the strength of 10 people like him plus 2. So where are the rest of his people? Simple. He's the Grinch, not a Grinch. They've been wiped out. Every last man, woman, and child besides this one lonely survivor. But who, pun intended, could possibly have done such a horrible thing? Who, pun also intended, do we know that would have a near fanatical belief in their religion? Who, this pun was completely accidental, makes up 99.9% .9 of the population and controls all the resources? The damn who's. For some reason, their religion caused them to wipe out an entire race of Grinches, leaving only one alive. It wouldn't be difficult. The Who's have massive numbers on their side. One man had 96 daughters. And for a supposedly peace-loving people, seem to have some giant fucking knives, as well as giving all their kids javelins and bows. It also would be believable. One of the few things we know about the Who's is how super religious they are. 
Them deciding to go all Deus Fault on the Grinches for refusing to follow their religion wouldn't be hard to believe. The Grinch survived, likely due to him being frozen in ice, only to be thawed out 100 years later by two siblings. More realistically, he likely fled, or was already living as a hermit, allowing him to escape the slaughter. He lived at the top of a remote mountain, and due to his cunning, likely had a number of traps and defenses set up. The Who's were content to ignore him, so long as he was out of the way. So of course, the Grinch hates the Who's for killing everyone he ever knew. It's mentioned that he hates them all year round, not at just Christmas, but Christmas makes him even more enraged. He wants to just forget about them, but on that day, the noise they make causes it to be impossible for him to do so. Even more enraging, they're singing religious hymns of the religion that killed his people. It's highly possible that Christmas was the anniversary of the Grinch genocide. At the end of the movie, the Grinch is shown to make the change for the, quote, better. Did he, though? Notably, both the book and the cartoon state that, quote, some say his heart grew three sizes that day. It doesn't just describe it happening. It states that certain people would make that claim. It's who propaganda to cover up the harsh truth. The Grinch had grown depressed and knew the Who's would kill him for ruining their special day. He was open to death, especially if it involved screwing them over and letting them know the Grinches would never give up. However, at the last moment, he had a change of heart, not out of love, but self-preservation. He decided to assimilate instead and pretended to join their religion. That allowed him to not live in a shitty, cold cave and also granted him a measure of security. If he pretended to be a convert who was truly inspired by them and declared so publicly, the Who religious officials couldn't kill him without public backlash. This is extremely well written and well thought out. And then this is why like, this is one of my favorite series to do, because it just brings to light so many different angles and aspects of some of our favorite films. We've talked about how much Eric and I love this movie. And coming across this theory really forces you to kind of watch it in a totally different light. The Who's are fucking insane. I totally think that this one could be plausible. Let's get to the next one here. This is also by Reddit user Equivalent Inflation. And this one is about one of my favorite shows of all time. Probably my favorite show of all time, actually, which is Community. And that Pierce's last gift to Abed was the lie detector episode. In the episode after Pierce dies, the members of the study group are forced to take a lie detector test to prove they didn't kill him. In actuality, it was to expose their worst secrets. In exchange for doing this, they all received an inheritance, including a nitrogen-cooled bottle of Pierce's hypoviral sperm. However, Abed is seemingly the only one not to receive a personalized gift as well. Pierce's final gift to Abed was creating a situation where life legitimately did mimic TV, something he knew Abed loved. Having a situation in which a group of characters have their worst secrets revealed is a classic TV trope. It creates drama among a group and forces explicitly stated messages as well as clear character growth. For Abed, those were some of the situations he loved most, when human emotions were presented clearly and resolved cleanly. For someone who can't understand other people well, that's basically a dream come true for him. Even Abed noticed how the situation followed a preset pattern, with the reveal of the secret, outrage from a certain person, then having one of that person's secrets revealed, it was directly set up for the purposes of comedy, as well as forming a coherent plot. I like this one a lot. I saw some people commenting that Pierce could never put together something so wholesome. But I disagree. Pierce was a total piece of shit. But he definitely had his moments where you're like, okay, Pierce really isn't that bad of a guy. He's just somebody with no filter that has always struggled to find a social circle. And now he doesn't really know how to act right. Obviously, certain aspects of putting people through the lie detector is pretty messed up. But honestly, this episode is kind of a display of Pierce's wholesomeness and a testament to how much he actually really, really loved the study group. I like this one a lot. And let's move into the last one here, which ties in directly to HBO's The Last of Us. I thought this was a good place to end it because everybody is talking about the show right now, and for good reason. 
Make sure you head over to our TikTok page where you can find our spoiler and spoiler-free reviews of episode one. But this theory was posted just a couple of days ago from Reddit user Bear Bruin, and it asked the question, was the infection a coordinated attack? Now, this goes without saying, but there may be minor spoilers for The Last of Us here in this theory. Neither the game or the show, as far as episode one at least, go into detail about the actual origin of the infection. In the game, we learn that the infection seemingly originates from South America and spreads into the USA via contaminated crops. As far as the show goes, for now, it would seem that the infection is just as mysterious. Only the opening scene suggests a possibility of any fungus mutating under the right conditions in such a way that humans could possibly become susceptible. A key piece of information is not totally considered the timetable for the infection. In the game, the first stage of the infection occurs within two days. In the show, that time period is even shorter, based on the part of the body the infection enters through, with the longest time being between 12 to 24 hours. With such a quick period in which symptoms first appear, and if the infection originated in South America, the evidence would have become clear quickly. Whatever crops are imported into the states would take longer to reach the states than it would for people in South America to exhibit signs of infection, signs that are extreme and obvious, and would throw up some immediate red flags to the world that something was seriously wrong. The industry of South America that provides these crops would have seen infections long before any of their product was shipped into the country. An infection of this nature would have forced the nation to cut off all incoming traffic from this area of any kind. Instead, the infection seems to happen in the States more or less all at once, unexpectedly. In both the game and the show, things appear to unravel over the course of a day or two. Show Sarah sees a kid in school exhibiting symptoms, and the older granny turns fast within the day-to-night period. In the span of a day, a large amount of people become infected to the point that society breaks down almost instantly. There is also the question of how a large amount of the fungi would end up in such a vast amount of the country's food supply unnoticed. Again, because of the timetable, we get the implication that one day there was no contaminated food products, and then the next there were. If this were a new, naturally occurring phenomenon, there would be much more blatant evidence of this infection occurring, wreaking havoc upon Central America, where it's coming from, before it would reach the States. While we'll probably not find out for certain in either medium, I believe it's possible to suggest that this was not the result of a naturally occurring fungal mutation, but rather a biological attack by an unknown entity. Now, I know some fans of the video games have been disappointed that there are no spores in the show, and I think that was a necessary change. It's not the biggest deal, and the changes that they made to the virus I think is perfectly fine. This is a theory that we'll have to keep an eye on as the lore of the games and the show continues to evolve. Now, somebody did make a good point here in the comments. They said fungi do communicate with themselves, so it is possible that the infection intentionally lay dormant until conditions were best to develop the worst symptoms, kind of like a game of pandemic in real life, which is just really a terrifying thought to think that, you know, fungi could just be waiting and plotting, essentially. I really think this is a good theory. And again, this is one we'll have to kind of keep an eye on and see what happens in the future. But folks, those are the five theories that I came across that I wanted to share with you guys here today. I hope you enjoyed them. I really enjoyed doing this series. I love coming across these awesome fan theories. It just goes to show how creative the human mind can be. And a lot of these, even though they may not necessarily be canon, I think it just adds more to the lore of the entertainment that we love. I'm going to get out of here. But just as a reminder, for the last week and a half for the month, we have some of our signature series coming up. International feature, the game room where it happens, and late to the party. We're just a few weeks away from Brick City Anime Festival in Ocala, so we hope to see you guys there. Check out the show notes for that link tree, and you can find all of our social media links as well as where to find all the rest of our episodes. If you find yourself listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a huge favor and leave us a five-star review. We would really, really appreciate it. Guys, I'm Phil Smith. 
Guys, I'm your co-host, Phil Filipino. And do not forget, we release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. And all you got to do is wait for it. So, I heard you're looking for a go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you got to do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast.